Let's continue seeking the Lord's presence in His Word this morning. We'll open up to the book of Nehemiah for our considerations in this part of our service. Nehemiah chapter 12. We're going to read a large portion of Scripture here. Nehemiah 12, verse 27. We'll read down through verse 43. We'll skip over a couple of verses. Not that they're not important, but we'll focus for time's sake on a number of other things that these verses won't cover. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. It says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and string instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. And we'll skip down to verse 37. It does mention that they had trumpets and they had the musical instruments of David, the man of God, in in the verses uh, in between here. But in verse 37 it goes on, By the fountain gate in front of them they went up the stairs of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall, beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And I was behind them with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me and the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah, Minjamin, Micaiah... (laughs) Eli Owenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. Also Maseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehohanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezrahiah the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard. Afar off. After that long reading, let's ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, for this time we can come. Father, as, as David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Father, help us to be glad to come together in fellowship. Help us to be grateful, Lord, for the word that you have for us, both here, Lord, and in our own studies at home. And even those times when you refresh us and remind us of your sayings and your will and your ways, Father. I'd help us, Father, to be grateful, to just have a spirit of gratitude, Lord, for all that you are, all that you do, all that you've done, all that you certainly will do. Draw us together, Lord, in gratefulness this morning. Be honored and glorified and praised by our considerations this morning, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, this is, I suppose, the first week of the so-called holiday season, if you consider that time of Thanksgiving to New Year's or including Christmas and the like. It's that holiday season that we recognize, and certainly Thanksgiving is this weekend, not weekend, this week on Thursday. I guess it's an early weekend for some. 
And I don't ever mind preaching towards the holiday of Thanksgiving because it's always good to be thankful. It's always right to be grateful. Uh, And so this morning we kind of will consider being thankful. There's never a bad time for it. I think if you look at young people, children, children who are raised without a certain measure of gratitude, at least to fake it at the beginning perhaps, just saying thank, thank you out of habit, if not out of understanding. You see those ones who aren't raised with that tendency and raised with that teaching, they grow up to be ungrateful people. And you know what you find out with ungrateful people is they're not very pleasant to be around. Because no matter what they have, they feel like perhaps they deserve more, they feel like they haven't had enough. Ungrateful people are just not, eh, they're not really fun to fraternize with, I guess you could say. And we know by Scripture, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, that ungratefulness, ingratitude, if you want to say it that way, is a character trait of, well, someone other than the child of God. It's a character trait of the lost and the rebellious, if you want to include those children of God there. But Romans one twenty one speaks of such folks when it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. That's not in there just by happenstance. It's not a throwaway passage. They weren't thankful and they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a tendency for those ones who push back and push away from the things of God, if they've ever accepted at all, uh, to be ungrateful for the things that have been given them. Not so the children of God, and and Scripture testifies to that fact as well. In the book of Colossians, Paul tells us uh, that the new creation, a hallmark of this new creation, is indeed gratitude. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How so? Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught. Abounding in it. Abounding in faith. With thanksgiving. Doesn't necessarily mention love there. Doesn't necessarily mention kindness and all of the fruit of the Spirit. And so it specifically says with thanksgiving. Don't forget this. Love and and those other pieces are all involved there. But it specifically says to abound in faith with thanksgiving. In the next chapter in Colossians 3 verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And don't forget, be thankful, be grateful, be appreciative of everything that you have. Saints, just getting straight to just a simple theme this morning before we get into this passage in Nehemiah, is that gratitude in the heart of the believer is perhaps the most justified feeling that you can have. It's the most justified feeling that a, that a child of God can have is gratitude. Yes, love should be there. Yes, kindness and all of these things in mimicking the Lord and, and imitating Him as we're crafted in His image and, and shaped furthermore into His image. Those things should all come and should all be developed. But gratitude, as we understand, we're children of God. We are, are His people and we're offered so, so, so much more. Man, gratitude should come easy. Uh, lest I be a hypocrite, let me make plain. I'm not always as grateful in the moment as I should be. And I imagine you all aren't either because we're fleshy creatures. But it should, man. It should come easy to be grateful to the Almighty God. Um, so, this morning, uh, we see this illustration of gratitude that we can recognize. And when I say it's an illustration of gratitude, you might wonder, well, these people were walking around, the, uh, walking around Jerusalem. Where's the gratitude in this? What's that all about? Well, this is an illustration of the gratitude that a child of God should have. Uh, we 
Well, we're going to break down this opening reading here and look at that. Look and see what kind of thanksgiving we should have and how it should apply to our, our lives in particular. Now, if you aren't familiar with Nehemiah, uh, it's, well, it's a good book. It's a good read. Um, he is renowned for going back to Jerusalem. He was a prisoner in the courts of the Persian king. Uh, Judah had been taken captive. We understand by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, but Persia had come in and defeated them. And now he was in the court. He was the cupbearer of the king at this time. And Nehemiah received word, received word there in the courts of the king that Jerusalem was still a shambles of sorts. Now, um, well, between Ezra and Nehemiah, Jerusalem was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. Different things and different structures were rebuilt from the time of that destruction that Nebuchadnezzar rendered upon Jerusalem. But there were all kinds of things that still had not been built, both, both naturally and spiritually. There was a lot of pictures there, a lot of illustrations of Jerusalem not being, as God's people were not being, uh, what they should have been, what it should have been. But particularly in the case of Nehemiah, it speaks of the walls. Uh, if you are one of the guys who is here oh, for our November men's group downstairs, we, well, we went into some depth in regards to this wall construction and how they replaced these different individuals. We're not going to go over this, but in chapters 2, 3, and 4, different individuals were placed in front of their own homes to repair the wall in front of their own homes to give that motivation, to give that understanding. Listen, you do a crummy job on this wall, this weakness is going to be, well, right before your own homes. And we're called to defend our own homes, defend ourselves physically, naturally, and certainly spiritually. Uh, if you were here then, then you'll recognize, well, the background of this story. But you didn't have to be here to, at that men's group to recognize what's going on here. These walls had not been restored, and Jerusalem was vulnerable to an attack. We don't have walls around Lee Summit. It's kind of not the practice that we have these days. We're kind of surrounded by the wall that is the United States of America. We live in a rather... Well, a large, powerful nation. But these different cities in this day, well, sometimes they did depend specifically on physical protection for their own, for their own benefit. I mean, you recognize we know what Jericho was. We can read about a number of different other cities that literally had physical walls up and surrounding uh, their city so that it would be a physical barrier from those ones who would come and cause them harm. These walls in Jerusalem were yet to be recovered were yet to be restored after Babylon had destroyed them. So Ezra, not Ezra, Nehemiah received this report in Nehemiah 1, verse 3. He received this report that reflected the condition there, again, both naturally and spiritually. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity, this one had come and visited and, and expressed to him, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so, if you're familiar with the story, you know that by God's grace, the Persian king granted Nehemiah leave to leave or to, to go back, take a contingent of folks with him, take a certain, a certain measure of passage and benefit and blessing in going back and recovering and restoring those walls. And so they did, finishing in 52 days. Uh, rather remarkably, they had those walls put back up. Now, our story picks up when those walls are completed. 
And they're ready to dedicate that wall, as we read there in verse 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, and they sought the Levites and different ones uh, who were skilled in worship, you might say. They were ready to dedicate these things. And you understand what dedication is, right? Uh, Oftentimes we'll, you know, we'll dedicate parks and we'll dedicate monuments. And, you know, I've seen different... Ah, videos from back in the old days where they, you know, they're going to dedicate a ship to its, you know, to its new commission and they'll swing a bottle of champagne or something on it, you know, against the hole. And, you know, it's kind of a memorial. It's kind of a, a moment where you say, we are dedicating, we're, we're devoting this thing, whatever that entity might be. We're devoting it to this purpose. I've been to different assemblies where they had baby dedications. I don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as it's un- understood. Uh, what the purpose is of it and you know, child baptism and all that sort of stuff we understand isn't scriptural, but I've seen different ones have baby dedication services. You're devoting or at least intending for this to be used for this purpose. And these walls were being dedicated. And so it was Nehemiah appointed. What did we see there in verse 31? Two large Thanksgiving choirs. Now, in the King James Version, it says companies of them that give thanks. But it is the same thing. Now, you think Thanksgiving choirs, and you might think, you know, you've got a bunch of people with pilgrim hats and some robes, and they're walking around singing songs and the like. That's, that's not what it is. It's a number of people, a mass of people, who, as we read there in that passage, they had trumpets, they had instruments, they had voices. They were making noise, and they were praising and, and crying out, and... In an organized fashion, they were worshiping the Lord in truth, in sincerity, in actuality. And so, we're going to look at these two choirs and what was happening here and at what it shows to us, what it illustrates for us. The testimony that's presented in this dedication and the encouragement and even an exhortation of sorts that it makes for us in our own lives uh, in these two Thanksgiving choirs. Now, you recognize, as we look there, Verse 27, down in Nehemiah 12. Worship was taken seriously in that day, you understand. Worship was appointed. Worship was, was something that was dedicated and, well, it was given its due place uh, by those ones who were themselves dedicated to that purpose. Today you look at worship oftentimes, and I kind of, I don't mean to just snicker, I don't want to hold anyone in derision. I feel like I say the same thing when I talk about modern day worship. But modern day worship, at the risk of sounding like a fuddy-duddy and, and an old man and that sort of thing, ah, oh, you're, just, you're just behind in the times, you're just old-fashioned and that sort of thing. No, I've, I enjoy good music. I do. I, I do enjoy good music. And I enjoy and I can be moved by music that's loud and music with lights and all of these things that... That honors God, but so often when I look at worship music or what's called worship music these days, I recognize that it's less praise and more performance. I mean, am I wrong in this? I don't think so. It's less praise and more performance. Listen, you know how I feel about social media, and I'm going to get on a soapbox here and kind of digress a little bit. But you can get on Instagram, and there are any number of folks out there that are. I hate to say band leaders, but they're kind of band leaders, worship leaders for well-known worship groups. And you can, they put a camera right there and they're like, watch me go to work here. 
And it's a, uh, an amazing production. Fantastic musicianship. And you see these different ones. There's not a movement of the Spirit. There's not a, 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 an investment in the worship itself. They're counting it off. They're like, all right, all right bring in the minor. Yeah! And, and it's just always, you know, chord change. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah! And there's a celebration in the performance. And I don't think that's old fuddy-duddy of me. There's an intent for worship and an intent for praise. And I can tell you, if there was an old king back in the day who was ready to slit the throat of anyone who stood against him and said, worship me. If someone went up there and said, turned around and said, watch what I'm going to do. He would beheaded them on the, on the spot. No, he, he wanted them to bow down, wanted them to prostrate themselves and worship. Now, God doesn't make us prostrate ourselves. God does say, worship me for your benefit. Worship me for your blessing. Worship me for your growth in faith. And I believe that that's what we're called to do. And so we sing songs. We sing songs that honor him. We sing songs that perhaps are old-fashioned, but the words are deep. The words have meaning. You can sit and chew on one of those songs and think, man, the writer of that song got it right, and it takes you to Scripture. And it can even deepen your faith and your understanding of the things that, that the Lord presents there. Again, I said I was going to digress, and there it is. Uh, I don't want worship to be more performance and praise. I don't want it to be more spectacle than substance, and I don't think that the Lord does either. And these ones here took it seriously. It was something of some spectacle when you see and you read what took place here, but it wasn't a performance. They weren't all up there saying, look at me, look at me. They were with intent and with some purpose, there was purpose in this, in this worship. And so finally, we're going to get off of my digression. And we'll go to verse 27 here. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring these ones who were dedicated to that purpose to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the, well, I nailed it a little bit ago, Natophathites. Uh, that's what they were doing. They were gathering these ones together to celebrate in a coordinated worship. They were devoting these walls, devoting these walls to a certain service, a certain purpose, an intent for those walls. You understand God had set Jerusalem aside for a purpose. Uh, God is no respecter of, per, of persons, but he does have a plan for different places and the imagery that's presented behind those things. And it says the Lord has chosen Zion. He's desired it for his dwelling place. That's understood throughout the Old Testament because he wanted to use that place. The people of Israel as an illustration, as an example of what he's willing to do. And he chose Jerusalem to demonstrate what he could do with, well, with a willing people. And what he would do with a rebellious people. And so we see Jerusalem does have a set-aside place in the eyes of God. Nehemiah wanted to demonstrate. Wanted to demonstrate that Jerusalem, well, that he understood what the Lord wanted to do there. He wanted to protect God's people. He wanted to set up these walls and protect them both physically and spiritually. He wanted to protect their livelihoods. He wanted to protect their activities. He wanted to protect their families. He wanted to protect the ones that were there and willing to worship. And he wanted to safeguard those natural lives that they had so that they might live a life that 
built up their spiritual life. Nehemiah was interested in protecting God's people and this city. So he went there to build these walls as the Lord had put it on his heart. And that's what he did. And he wanted the Lord to be celebrated for enabling them to do this. To enable this protection to be surrounded around this city of his people. And so it says in verse 31, so in order to do this, in order to do this dedication and to demonstrate the meaning of this wall, again, physically, naturally, and spiritually, so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. And that's uh, Nehemiah Nehemiah 12.31. And so these companies, these two companies dedicated to worship were to march along the wall in the directions that were specified, and essentially sing and play instruments and praise with thanksgiving until they met on the other side. Now you think about it. Again, this is rather different for, from what we do on the day today. You know, we don't typically do things such as this. And I encourage you, as you're reading the Old Testament, and the New Testament too, but as you're looking in the Old Testament, you think, man, I have nothing. <laughs> it's such a different It's such a different type situation these folks are in. I don't have anything in common with Samson. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I I there was there's no chance that as I leave this place and I go walking down the road here, I run all over this town. Never once have I encountered a lion, you know what I'm saying? Not one time has a lion come out and I had to wrestle that lion. Uh, not one time did anyone come out, a, a band of a thousand to come out and, and battle with me. It's difficult for me you know, to, to find common ground with these different ones, particularly in the Old Testament where their society and their culture and their whole way of life is so vastly different than my own. And so it's good for us when we read it in the Old Testament. And we look at these ones so different from us for us to take the time And put ourselves in their situation because it helps us to put ourselves in the situation of others. It helps us to understand today what that person might be thinking, what their situation might be. It helps us to be empathetic. And that's what we're supposed to be as God's people. So it's good to sit and think, okay, what were these people doing here? They were going to gather together and stand up together on these respective walls. Nehemiah was going to stand here and say, now you folks go that way. And you're going to take yours and you're going to go that way. And you play and you sing and you worship. We're going to start out with this one and this one. And then we're going to do this one. And then we're going to do this one. And we're going to honor God in this. And we're going to play in this. I don't think that he had his head set. I don't think he was like looking at people and you know, doing this sort of thing. And there weren't smoke machines and that sort of thing. They were walking around this and they were praising the Lord as they went with thanksgiving. You can see that it was quite orderly. You can see that it was set up just so. Nehemiah had it all lined up, and then he said, let's go. Uh, I don't have a map for you this morning because my maps tend to stink when I try to put them up on, on these screens. They always seem to be an epic failure. And I'll be honest with you, a number of these different places I'm going to mention and talk about, there's any number of opinions and thoughts about what each one of them were, what each one of their purposes were. So I don't have anything posted up here for you, but you don't need to have a visual aid for this to understand what I'm going to say here, I don't believe. The first choir took a route that brought them by some landmarks. We read just a moment ago. It started, we read in verse 31, 
that they started going towards the refuse gate, as you see there. I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall, appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. And you understand what I tend to do with these sorts of things is I, I end up drawing it at the end. And I almost always in my notes have something that says, for us. And it's where I wrap up, at least for myself, what this means for me. I'm not to the for us segment of my notes yet, but can I just say this for us? You know what the refuse gate was in the King James Version. Am I wrong? Anyone who has a King James is dung, right? It's the dung gate. You know what the dung gate is? It's dung. (laughs) It's where they put the refuse from this place. So let me just say right out of the gates, if I was one of these Thanksgiving choirs, and I might be on digressing a little bit here, can I go the way opposite of the dung gate? Is that, do I have to go this direction? Someone has to go that direction, right? And they were still to play. And they were still to praise. They were still to be grateful. They were still to walk over everything. And I'm getting way ahead of myself. But saints, when you give your life to the Lord, He blesses... <laughs> I need to be careful how I phrase this. <clears throat> He blesses even the refuse for you. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I don't want to take that any farther. He blesses even the simplest, most basic, fundamental things that you do in regards to refuse. I'm not going to say that He blesses that itself. It's cast out and it's put away. But He blesses you in your dealings with that. And He carries you even through the parts of your life that stink. Let me say it that way. And we're to be grateful for those times because He's with us. And as we worship Him, and as we praise Him, and as we thank Him for those times, man, He'll make those things blessings for you. So yes, these people were given to walk past the refuse, or towards the refuse gate. And then it goes on in verse 37 where it says, By the fountain gate. In front of them they went up the stairs of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall, beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. The second choir, they also went past some... Oh, that's not right. Uh, Allie, can you take me to Nehemiah 12, 38, please? The second choir went past some landmarks also. Nehemiah 12 and verse 38 says, The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens. Furnaces, it might say in, in the King James, I don't recall, but that's what it is also translated as. As far as the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison or the gate of the guards. Essentially, as I said a moment ago, they each went opposite directions, apparently seemingly snaking around the city as they, as they praised. Now, different historians and different ones who are authorities in that area well, they tell me that if they kept just a typical standard pace, it would be something around the, oh, somewhere around a half an hour that it would take for them to circumnavigate that part of the city as it was in that day. But you know there are disagreements in regards to that as well. Disagreements in regards to what exactly the city was, what these towers were, so on and so forth. But here's what I know. One team went that way. One team went that way. And they passed all of these respective places. And they passed everything else inside of that city. Everything that was contained inside that wall as they went around the circumference of that city, praising and worshiping and thanking God, everything on the inside of it 
was prayed over, was passed, was thanked. God was thanked for those things. They were singing over them. They were praising the Lord over them and thanking the Lord over them. Now, whether we know what exactly these ones, these things were or not, we do know a couple of things. Let me point those out for you. One of them is that there were a number of gates that were involved. Gates, whatever their purpose, whatever their specific, uh, what they were dedicated to in the day, whatever that purpose was, uh, whether we know it or not, it was still a gate, right? And gates are openings. Gates are openings in the walls where you have the potential for vulnerability. Now, we read about the fountain gate. And again, I'm just going to tell you what we might infer out of these things. The fountain gate, it seems, by most who have some understanding of it, seems like it might have been a place of social gathering. Uh, There might have been some, I don't know, water feature, if that's what that fountain was. It's hard to say, and different ones say. But it was a place that it looked as though they gathered there together for some measure of social gathering. The fish gate is where the fish markets would have been. We read about those ones, or we will read here momentarily, about those ones who bring in brought in fish, who brought in commerce, who brought in goods. They would enter into Jerusalem so they might sell their wares and that sort of thing. The fish gate would have been set aside perhaps because of the scent that came from it. I'm not sure. But the fish gate seems to make good sense. The sheep gate would have provided access for those livestock that would have to go in and out and go out in the field by day perhaps. Uh, The gate of the prison, we understand. Some measure of guardship that was taking place there. The water gate, an aqueduct for water access, it seems. The refuse gate, enough said on that place. They were valuable, necessary places. Some unpleasant, perhaps. But those openings into and out of the wall were necessary. They were necessary if they were going to maintain any measure of contact with what was on the outside. But they were also vulnerable. There are also places where what was defending that city were opened and could be accessed. Uh, We can read in Nehemiah 13 and verse 15 that, well, those gates were taken advantage of. Uh, Different people with varying intents, varying purposes were allowed inside. And it, well, it opened up potential for failure. And Jerusalem and God's people in Israel had demonstrated they had a tendency to fail when it came to outsiders, right? Nehemiah 13, verse 15. We can see what what took place here. Nehemiah says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Uh, I just read someone in passing, I'm not sure, I don't remember where it was at, but they said, man, Nehemiah sure was a legalist. (laughs) They were under the law. I'm glad someone snickered. They were under the law at the time. Of course, the Sabbath was in place. They were supposed to recognize and keep and honor the Sabbath. And so he said, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to do that. You know, different ones, the righteous judge all things, right? We're not supposed to be judgmental in all things. But we are supposed to look and say, what is, what's happening here? Is it right? Is it wrong? If I were to engage in this, would I be right or wrong in this? Is this going to impact me spiritually if I partake in this or if I don't say something or if I do say something or whatever the case? We're constantly analyzing things. I have a habit. I have a habit, and, and Allie will testify to it probably. I go analyze people all the time. What's what the motivation behind Why would they act like this? We guy cut me off this morning. Had absolute... Absolutely no reason to. He just came over. He wasn't paying attention. Came over. And I was like, er, er, let him know that I was there. He let me know that he didn't care that I was there. 
made a rude gesture. And so we were just sitting here and talking. And we're like, man, you know, there really is a character issue there. What prompts somebody to make an error puts you in danger? And when you say, hey, man, keeping us both out of danger here. I'm here. Don't keep coming over. He does what he does and slams on his brakes to do this and that. And, you know, I'm always wondering, what's the motivation behind this, man? What kind of person is this? These people, Nehemiah was looking at them and he says, you're treading wine presses on the Sabbath when it's strictly, strictly told. This isn't what we do. We don't work on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens. You're doing commerce. You're doing business on the day that is set aside, whether they knew it or not, to reflect the Lord Jesus and the rest that we have in him. They didn't know that. They just knew that the Lord said, Honor the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. And they weren't doing it. Loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre, these were outsiders, dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. The gates gave access to folks such as this. And Nehemiah wanted that truth to be understood. He wanted it to be recognized. This is what's allowed in here. He wanted it identified by the people of God. Do not mistake me for being one who says, we need to close the border. No one comes across. It's American. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that that's a godly stand to take, in all honesty. I think that while we have a responsibility to protect the people of our country, but that doesn't mean that you eliminate the access from other people or to other people. How can we be a testimony if we're not intermingling with those ones who need testimony? Uh, I'll just leave that there. He didn't want it shut down, didn't want the gates shut down, but he recognized it as a vulnerability. Recognized it as a vulnerability, need to be identified by the mature, responsible believers that were there. Recognize who can come in here and what they're doing and what they're helping you to, well, helping you to struggle with helping you to make poor decisions in regard to the Sabbath and other things. And recognize the Lord's protection and guidance in how to deal with those things. And so, here they are, uh, walking past these gates. The focus of the choir's blessings were, in part, to walk past these gates and to dedicate those gates, dedicate those things, those parts of the wall, to what the Lord wanted to do and how he wanted to work with them. It wasn't just gates that we saw. There were other places of function there, right? The Tower of the Hundred. It's a tower of some sort. Some people speculate that it was 100 feet tall or 100 meters tall. I'm not going to speculate, but it was a tower. Tower of Hananel, also a tower. The Tower of the Ovens and Furnaces. Perhaps a common place where they would bring their breads so that the community could bake their breads and receive back since not everyone had such ovens in their homes. The House of David that of the former king, the stairs of the city of David. We see them walking past this while they're singing and praising, thanking the Lord. We don't have all of the meanings and the significances of this. They've been lost, lost to history. But we know that towers are vantage points. Towers are places that are on high looking out, circumspect perhaps, and looking in and looking down, a vantage point where you might see and understand, have a better view and better better perspective of what's going on inside and out. The house of David, doesn't that speak to government and authority, past and present? Government and authority to come? 
Governments that (laughs) welcome and unwelcome, you might say. Kind, uh, benevolent governments or tyrannical governments. All of these things. Thanked. I mean, the Lord is thanked for these things. The Lord praised for these things as they walked past all of these things. So symbolic. So representative of what was going on inside of that place. The stairs and the, uh, the stairs of the city. Those things... Well, they speak to the labor, just walking, walking this life, occupying ourselves. The passages in and out of that city of Jerusalem as life was maintained and life was lived. And they occupied themselves in just the process of living. Nehemiah wanted to identify and dedicate those walls to protecting all aspects of the lives of these ones in Jerusalem. He wanted to cry out to the Lord. And recognize and worship Him for protecting, if not altogether providing, everything that went on inside of those walls and outside. And so we had those Thanksgiving choirs, walking the entire circumference of that city, again, playing, singing, worshiping and thanking the Almighty God. He identified the need for protection there. He celebrated the willingness of the Lord to protect them. And He thanked Him Thank the Lord for the opportunity to be involved there. Saints, what does this mean for us? Here's that part of my notes. Well, let me just say this, that God wants to protect and bless your everything. All right? Not your sin, you understand. Not your mistakes. He doesn't want to protect your doubt. He doesn't want to salvage and shield your discouragement and make sure you have the right to do that's not That's not what I'm saying, you understand. He wants to protect your best interest. He wants to protect your life as the means by which you learn more of Him, you deepen in faith, and you walk with Him. He wants to protect and bless your everything. And Scripture proves this to us. Psalm 144 and verse 3. The psalmist says, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? This might sound like a rhetorical question, like, man, we are such garbage. How could you even look at us? Let's put away the humbling part there and recognize the truth that indeed he does take knowledge of him. What is man that you do? You do take knowledge and you do recognize. Or the son of man that you are indeed mindful of him. Lord, let alone who I am, I could be the best man in the world, best man in history. And the fact of the matter is, is that the fact that you are mindful of me still is your condescension to us. But... Key in on that. He does take knowledge of mankind. He is mindful of the Son of Man. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. He's nothing to you. And yet, and yet, you want to bless. You want to protect. You want to be involved in that life. God makes such promises as Romans 8.28. Judah mentioned this morning. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. How come? Because He wants to. He wants to bless us. He wants to prosper us. He wants to do good things for us. He knows the thoughts that He has towards us. It goes on in Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. His people can find safety and protection in the Almighty God. Nahum 1.7. I know you can't keep up with this. My apologies. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. And what does he do for those ones? He is a stronghold to them. He does protect us. He wants to protect. He wants to bless. It's ours to recognize this. 
even if he has us walking towards the refuse pile, towards the refuse gate, even if that's what he's calling us to do. It's ours to recognize, you know what, I'm walking towards this horrific smelling part of the city, but I am standing on this wall that was established by God. That was, I had a hand in raising up. That's what Nehemiah was saying. I, I had a hand in raising this up. It's all God's work and he enabled us. I'm going to be grateful. I am standing on this wall that is protecting everything on the inside of it. Certainly, it's God over all. Except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord keep the city. Those ones who would build, those ones who would watch over, they do it so in vain. There's no, there's no reason to stay up and, and, and well, stand guard if the Lord isn't standing guard. But the Lord was standing guard here. He assured them that He was. He put it on Nehemiah's heart. Go build those walls. This is what I have for you. So that you might protect this city and build inside of it what else I want to do for you. He wants to protect us likewise. He wants to bless us as well. He wants us to recognize that we can join him just so. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul recognized that we could join him in this. That we can join the Lord in this endeavor of being protected and being built up while he's protecting 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, we understand this, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you. He'll, he'll establish you on Jesus, and he'll guard you from the evil one as you live your life in dedication, worship, and praise to him. He will guard you from the evil one. It's ours to secure our own walls, you could say. It's ours to trust Him to help us to build that protection around ourselves. We do that by His Word. We do that by His leading. We do that by His strength and His enabling, certainly. It's ours to trust Him for that. His is the work, but it's ours to join Him in that. And when He does that, when He gives you salvation, when He shows you His grace, when He gives you deeper faith, when He gives you understanding, when He gives you the Word as a guide, when He gives you the Spirit as a further guide in the Word, when He gives you brothers and sisters in faith that we might gather together in fellowship and edification, strengthening one another, stirring one another up to love and good works, when He gives us such things that He has <laughs> protected us, Ah, will we not worship Him? Will we not thank Him for that? Will we not dedicate that protection to Him? Psalm 37 verse 27 says, Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake His saints. They are preserved, they are protected, shielded, sheltered forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Saints, it seems rather glib to say it sometimes, but God has His hand on you. You are, He has your very breath in His hand. He says so. You're in His hand. He's protecting you with a mighty hand, not shortened to us. He wants to bless everything that you do as you walk by faith. He wants to bless and protect you in everything that you do. He wants to 
encourage and empower and equip you for every good work, everything that you do. All of our works can be good ones. He wants to shelter you in those things. It seems only just to me. And, well, we'll go so far as to say it seems only pragmatic and wise, honestly, to thank him for that at every opportunity. We said earlier that ungratefulness, ingratitude is a character trait of the lost and the rebellious, whereas thankfulness, something that should come entirely easy to the child of God. It's a hallmark of this new creation that we have within us. I believe we're called ourselves to do much as what these choirs of thanksgiving were doing there in Jerusalem. Uh, Let's go back to our passage in Nehemiah 12. We'll start wrapping this up. Where it says those two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God in Nehemiah 12 and verse 40. This is after they've circumvented and they gather together and they meet on the other side. The two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me and the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah, Benjamin, Micaiah, Elioni, and all of these other ones with trumpets. Also these other ones here with Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezrahiah, the director. And what did they do? That day they offered great sacrifices, it says in verse 43, and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. They were able to walk around that wall and look down and say, this is what the Lord has given to me. This is what the Lord has done through me, building these walls. This inside of this place is what the Lord has for me in the present time. And he's offered to protect it. He's offered to bless it. He's got me walking around these walls looking at these things so that I might praise Him and thank Him for blessing this. That's what these ones were doing. They offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Saints, we need to take time to walk our walls from time to time. We need to take a moment, many moments, To climb up those stairs. To get up on top and just start walking around and having a look. Uh, Douglas mentioned to Ian, you know, uh, just a moment ago that we can look back and see the Lord has been my Ebenezer. Thus far, he has helped me, right? Look, Look at where I have come. I'm not satisfied where I'm at. I'm not satisfied with who I am. Uh, I'll always... Well, by the grace of God, be content with what I have naturally. I'll never be satisfied with where I am spiritually. There's always more to have. There's always more to know. But you can look back and recognize the progress that has been made. He told, uh, Paul spoke to either Timothy or Titus and told them, let your progress be made known to all. Let it be understood that you are progressing by faith. You are progressing in faith. Sometimes we need to stop and just take inventory. Get up on our walls and start walking the city, as it were. That is our life. Walk past every part, the refuse gate, the fish gate, where we work, how we work, what we're doing. Walk around those places that are simply just our occupants' times, the times where we're just occupying ourselves, what we're doing in those things. And look and recognize God has sheltered us in these things. He has sheltered my life and enabled me to build up pretty substantial protection around. And certainly He has His hand around entirely. To look at the gates, to look at the different places and landmarks in my life and recognize what God can bless me in and will bless me through as I give those things over to Him. And when I walk around those walls, seeing that I have progress to be made, and you see that you have progress yet to be made, 
Will you not thank him for what he's done thus far? Will you not thank him even if it's just for only salvation, only redemption, only justification, bought by Christ? Will you not thank him for that? Recognize where the gates are weak. Recognize where we're allowing those ones to come in and perhaps bump us off of our honoring our Sabbath, the Lord Jesus. Recognize where those things perhaps need to be tightened up as our brother mentioned just a moment ago. Let the Lord Jesus help us to judge and judge with Him where our struggles are. But saints, where you see progress and where you see Jesus blessing and wanting to bless, man, you cry out. Thank Him for that. Worship Him for that. Praise Him for that. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Lord, I need help in this situation. Or I need to help, I need to tighten this up. Or Lord, I just need encouragement. And then we join with Him as He tries to build that up, as He desires to build that up. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will help you to fix those walls, support those walls. Saints, praise and worship and thank the Lord for that. He wants to protect. He wants to bless. He wants to nurture you. Let Him and be thankful for it.